When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. I'm Daniel Shea, your host for today's interview with John Meesey, Associate Professor of Biological Sciences at Stellenbosch University, South Africa. His book, How to Write a PhD in Biological Sciences, A Guide for the Uninitiated, was published by CRC Press this year. And the book is being written in Bookdown, and so is a live project that anyone may contribute to or use as the basis for their own book. Find out how on the blog post for this episode of Scholarly Communication. This book is part of an advisor. John Meesey tells us how the book began life as a blog because he'd found himself repeating the same advice again and again to the PhD students he advised. This book is part of this advisor, John Meesey among whose academic qualities, obviously, is the trait, cares about the people he advises. This book is also part John, because readers can hear his voice in the book. He writes as he sees things. The reader has the feel that it's an office hour, and the professor is providing valuable advice from his own experience and from his own viewpoint. This is downright useful stuff, the reader understands, because someone has used these tips and explanations, and so these tips and explanations are ready to be used again. Just take one example. Here's John Meesey in his own words about storytelling in science. I started thinking about this topic some years back, as I often need to write popular articles that make some of the science that we do more generally accessible. But then I came across the article by Nick Enfield entitled, Our job as scientists is to find the truth, but we also must be storytellers. That made me think again. No storytelling is a comment that I sometimes make when reading drafts of manuscripts, chapters, and even when editing for journals. What do I mean by this? Stories are deterministic. That is to say that a storyteller has an end in mind when they start telling the story, and the telling is a way of getting their goal across. A story that's pointless will frustrate the audience and won't engender them to listen to that storyteller again. In a good story, reaching that goal will often result in lots of twists and turns with the goal shrouded in mystery until it is revealed. In a teaching story, like a parable, the goal may be overt, such that the audience relates to the narrative and buys in to the same conclusion. If we did science like we tell stories, We would decide on the way the system works before we studied it, and then design the experiment in order to reach our desired goal. You should have recognized by now that this is not the way to do science. This is clearly an undesirable way to go about doing science because we should never prejudice the results that we'll get from a study before we do it. Hence, writing stories and writing science are different processes. That is John Beasy. From his book, How to Write a PhD in Biological Sciences, this is John Meesey on Scholarly Communication. Hi, John. Welcome. Hi, Daniel. Thanks very much for your introduction. It's very kind. Um, this, there's really two places we could pick up. Uh, I, I suppose, uh, being the host, I'll, I'll decide. <laughs> uh, it's the story bit in science, the storytelling um, this article that you reference here by Nick Enfield is also quite interesting because it weighs up both sides of the issue. The classic complication end of a story, the act of narrating it in an interesting way, and the fact that the narrator seems to have some sort of omnipresence, some control over what's going on. And then, of course, 
all the things that make that sort of an approach non-scientific, much as you've just said in the quote that I that I brought up. But Enfield's point is that, nonetheless, we're kind of stuck storytelling. Um, I, w- I wonder if you could maybe give us a little bit more precisely your views on this question. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I think, you know, the way that we communicate is obviously um, very prone towards storytelling because that, that's our history, that's where we've come from. Um, but at the same, and, and it, in the way that we communicate science, we can do this by standing up in front of an audience, but we can also do it by um, writing uh, what we found in a, in a scholarly communication, uh, commonly known as a journal article or a paper. Um, and in that format, we need to be extremely careful because we don't want, as, as you said in the quote, we don't want it to come across as a, a deterministic um, piece. So something where we, we already decided at the beginning what was going to happen. Um, but, so we need to be careful in how we create that. But at the same time, and, and what I go on to say in, in that particular chapter, is that we definitely do want to use the tools of storytelling because um, they are a way to captivate our audience. And uh, everything we write, um, you are going, in anything you write, uh, you're going to want to keep your audience captive, you're going to want to keep them engaged. Um, And so the rules of storytelling, or or some of the the tips and tricks of storytelling, are extremely pertinent to us um, as scientists when we, we come to write. I wonder if, uh, because you talk also in that uh, chapter, and Nick Enfield in his Guardian article also talks about this, this this problem of communicating and the difficulty that very many scientists face when they go to then write down their study. It would seem to me as someone who's coming at science from the writing end, um, I, I'm not a scientist myself, as my uh, listeners will know, um, but I am a English for academic purposes a specialist, so I, I see it through the language lens. It would seem to me that the problem of communicating is precisely in the communicating. Um, it's, it's very possible to see language as having evolved to allow us to connect with other people, to make sense of our experience and other such features of the world as filtered through our communication capabilities so that it's just absolutely necessary that if you go to communicate anything, science included, and go to write it, you're faced with a a tool, a mechanism for doing that 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 doesn't match up one-to-one with the tools, methods of science itself. Yeah, that, that's an interesting perspective. Um, uh, I might think that science itself, the communication is very much part of science and is, is not a separate part um, because it, uh, it doesn't, doesn't exist or hasn't happened until you've written it down and, and communicated it. So I think, I think science, I think the writing is, a, is an integral part of the, the science but I take your point um, that really we have to, uh, it's something that we have to do, something that we, perhaps the more important point is that, that we're not trained to do it in the way that we might. Um, and that's really at the, the heart of, of the book and the idea for the book is that um, there is this assumed knowledge. So when you go uh, to a university to do a PhD, um, your PhD advisor, will assume that you know how to communicate. They'll assume that you know how to write, um, and they'll assume that you've been trained in all these things before. Um, And yet, there are very few courses, although it it is becoming increasingly popular um, to teach people the rudiments of writing. Um, In in the day when, uh, back in the day when I did my PhD and and did my school studies, we didn't get any formal uh, instruction in how to write. And so really the idea behind this book is, is, is to give some uh, very general and some quite uh, basic um, ideas on um, how to formulate writing. And these are not, not 
really all my own ideas. These are these are things that I've pulled, um, and also the experience I've had in, in uh, teaching other PhD students, and and basic, but basically to pull them all together in one place and give readers. You said you said it was it was very very short and uh, um, explicit information about these different ideas, but. But really, my aim is is to point them off in other directions where they might find more information, and so they, they'll find all the chapters are very very short. Um, they just give a general overview, and then they, they'll point you off um, somewhere where you can find more information about this. Should you need to, to read more about it? Yeah, you you give us there a nice insight uh, into the format of the book and make very clear also the. The purpose of the book, and and um, I, in my line of work, uh, uh, welcome such a book as this. I find the book also unique in that respect because, as I was saying before, the the other thing I wanted to bring up was your voice. You do give this the feel of, you know, an office hour. Uh, you know, you get the you get as a reader the very clear your message coming through, your opinions on things, and what you think will work and won't work. And 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 just as you've said, you very often send the reader out back to his or her advisor out into uh, the internet to find this or that resource so so perhaps we'll just follow right up with that uh, as to the format of the book um, this idea that you very often do have short sections subsections uh, you pick up points give some interesting information about it uh, send people off to other sources that can be very useful are often telling them where at their own university they're likely to have their um, support for this or that question. Um, perhaps you could speak to the format of the book in, in, in respect as to how do you how you filled it and also what it is. Um, I mentioned book down as being the um, technical format that it's written in. So uh, if you could t- take up those two topics, that, that might be useful. Sure. Well, uh, I guess any book is a journey. Um, and, and this has been a journey for me uh, in that the, the, the concept or the idea um, for all of these uh, chapters originally came about as um, blog entries. So I have a blog. Um, I would notice that, that, that students often have the, the same issues, and so I'd write a, a blog about the particular issue. Um, and then those, uh, I think it was late in 2019, um, I was looking through this blog, and I'd assembled a page which, which had direct links to, the, to various different things, and I realized that, look, there's... there's very nearly a, a whole book here. Um, and so what I said about doing is trying to fill in those gaps that were missing um, in the blog articles and then put them um, all together into a, into a manuscript. So that's where the, the, the idea for the book came from. I think the, the format is that um, personally, I don't want to read, I don't want to read a big book. Um, I, I, I want to be able to get very quickly to the, to the particular issue that I'm stuck with, um, whether that's uh, how, to, how to formulate an argument or um, whether it's a, a particular Latin phrase that I have no clue that somebody's, somebody's written down on, on a manuscript. Um, and I want to be able to just quickly jump to those things, uh, find out what they mean, if I can't get a clear idea in, in a couple of pages, then um, I'd want to be bounced on somewhere further. So that's, that's really, I mean, I suppose, I assume that for other people it's the same, and it may not be. And so if you're somebody who, who likes to sit down and read uh, a good tome uh, from beginning to end um, about writing, then there are such uh, books out there. There's such vehicles for that sort of thing. But this, this book won't be that book. So this book is very much um, dipping in uh, and then providing uh, links to move forward with that kind of thing. Um, and, and you mentioned book down, and book down for me is very important um, in this respect. So as I was uh, finishing this book and trying to uh, put it together into a, a, a single piece, what I really wanted is something that could be open access, it could sit on a, a platform um, and it could be accessed by anyone. Uh, and there are a number of different ways that you can do this. 
Um, uh, you can have a PDF that sits on your site, something like that, and, and, and try and disseminate it. But but these are not particularly friendly ways of, of um, producing books. Um, and so it was that I came across something called Bookdown. Um, if if your listeners are interested in uh, learning more about Bookdown, they can go to bookdown.org um, and uh, read all about it there and uh, read about the project. Um, it's basically the brainchild of the people who produce our studio. Um, and it utilizes um, very simple uh, word processing code um, that uh, you you can write in um, in a simple text file, but but also you can write in our studio. Um, and eventually, uh, when you come to publish your book on Bookdown, it basically produces a, a um, already um, a very good structure for the book. It has uh, the entire index down the left hand side. The book is searchable. Um, using uh, a simple text search, um, but it will produce every chapter that, that has that bit of text in it. Um, you can change the font and you can change whether it's black or white at the back. And um, you can also download the book in different formats um, onto your desktop. And it, it, it sits like that. It's extremely um, simple for someone like it to take a bit of a learning curve to learn how to do it all, but it, it's relatively simple and straightforward in order to write using it. Um, but the joy of Bookdown really is that, um, as you may be aware, a, a project like this one, it's not a static thing. So, so there is a book, um, and it looks like this, uh, but it's 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 not. It's it's a constantly changing field. New things will come up. Um, old things will fall away. Um, and so this is very, it's a very dynamic system. And what we want is a platform that's equally dynamic in order to um, put this on. And, and Bookdown really responds to that. So I have um, all of my Bookdown uh, book is related to um, GitHub. So all the files of the book sit on GitHub. Um, for those of your um, viewers who are uh, familiar with GitHub, then you know that you can um, produce a pull request. So if you see an error, or if you want to rewrite something to make it more clear, or if you have um, ideas for other chapters, then you can make this pull request um, where you have you can get the source files and change the source files, send them back to the author, um, and if they approve, it can be up within seconds of, of receiving it. So there's the ability in Bookdown to make this a very flexible and dynamic product that can change, um, and it has already changed. Uh, so if you go to the Bookdown site for this book, which is um, howtowriteaphd.org, uh, all one word, .org, at the end, then um, you can find already, you can find um, extra chapters that have been written that, that are not in the the printed version to date. I think that that's also really worth emphasizing this, this this format of the book because it it is literally taking the the book as we know it in in a new direction and 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 I, it doesn't surprise me that it's coming from the hand of a scientist. I mean, this is clearly by a scientist and for other scientists or people studying to become um, scientists. It has nothing to do with the humanities, and I have. Um, interviewed here on this program many times people have written very good writing guides but this writing guide is different for that reason that it's been written clearly not only by a practitioner I've also had scientists who've written writing guides very good ones but it's written also with a view to how science actually works this collaborative nature this we're in a dynamic field we have to keep a pace um you know what I write in 2022 forget about it in 2025 um right i mean this, this and, and that's that's why i want to emphasize that issue because i find that that is definitely um a wonderful project i'm glad i'm glad you started it yeah it's very much for the case and, and and i i agree that i hope in a way that i've started this i'm and I'm, i really hope that i'm not going to be the one that finishes 
uh, this project and that it will actually continue on and that other people will take it up and, and move with it. Because um, what I've written so far is if you like uh, the stub of an article or of several articles and there's a lot more um, to write. There's plenty, plenty more to write on this subject. Um, and there's probably much better ways of writing it and alternative views. And all of these can be adapted into this book and product. Um, there's literally, um, Bookdown itself has evolved in the, in the two years that I've been using it um, and will continue to evolve and will continue to be um, to provide more uh, different tools for doing different things. And so there's lots of, uh, just lots of potential for making the book more dynamic, making it more interactive. Um, for graphs that you can change the data with, because obviously this this uh, this format being produced by R Studio is linked very closely to R, so you can produce graphs or you can produce data in R that people can then play with uh, within the book. So there's a lot to do, um, and I would emphasize that I, look, I'm not the first person to write a book in book down. That's been there are hundreds of books already there. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I, I refer to in this book. I mean, one of the inspirations for this book was other books about how to uh, produce figures, for example. So there's lots of uh, books already on Bookdown about um, producing figures and doing statistics. And so you won't find those sections of this book particularly well um, uh, extent or extensively written. Um, they instead pass you on to other books that are also open access. So again, the, the, you know, one of the ideas for this book is, is really to provide content that people can, can then move on to um, and use the, use the internet in the way that it, it should be used uh, to gain further knowledge and gain more insight about, about the, the, the issues and the problems that you have. I guess to move from this innovative format uh, back to the conventional, which I'm holding right here in my hand, the, the book itself, um, you mentioned earlier that, of course, the point of the book is to provide training or to provide advice to PhDs who are getting started with their studies, who are in the writing process, wherever they happen to be, preferably very early on, um, as is made clear in the book. Um, but I'm holding the book here in front of me this way because of the picture on the front. <laughs> now, I think it may have been one other oh, time yeah. in all the all the years I've been doing this that I've actually commented on the picture on an academic book. But this one is worth um, doing because of the title and also um, what we find above that. We find here a dragon, a princess, a princess apparently holding the dragon on a sort of leash, as far as I could see. And then, of course, the student is on top of a, um, as a knight, dressed as a knight on top of the um, a horse, driving a lance into the dragon's head. The dragon is labeled as the PhD. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a very subtle sort of humor. Um, uh, and it, it's carrying a message, though, too, because that's what brings me to the title itself, right? So how to write this PhD, but then the guide for the uninitiated. And this is something you mentioned earlier um, that, right, there's a lot of assumptions, inexplicitness, a lot of just sort of don't ask questions, follow my lead kind of thing going on in academia. And um, you very rightly want to help put an end to that because what purpose does that serve, right? Yeah, so uh, I guess that you know this is this is also my backstory in that um, I felt that that I came to when I started my PhD. Uh, the context I'm I'm British. I'm from the UK. Uh, you don't have to do a master's um, study before you do a PhD, and I didn't. So I came from an honors program. Um, and I found myself in a situation at a new institution, a new university, where there was a lot of assumed knowledge. Um, and I had an advisor that didn't have any time to uh, fill me in on, on the assumed, on the, the knowledge that he assumed that I'd had. Um, and I, th I think that's very common. Uh, I think that's very common for a lot of students. They'll start a, a PhD in a, in a new, a novel situation. Um, the person that they are working with 
has only a very limited amount of time. Um, and so the idea of covering what they might consider to be basics is, is perhaps the last thing they want to do. And what they really want to do is, is, is move on with the particular science and the particular question that they have. Um, and so that, that's where I find myself. And I suppose it's only, what, 20-odd years later, maybe more like 30 years now, um, that I can reflect on, on how that was uh, for me and produce... Um, and this is this is this is exactly what I would have wanted to have had um, back in those days when I when I was um, when I was starting uh, the PhD. Is, is somebody telling me, okay, well, you know, this this is what it's about. This is what everyone else knows, but that you're that you're missing because you didn't have that kind of uh, that particular education. Um, and so, it, for many students, the the PhD becomes like this this beast, this dragon, as as it's as it's portrayed on the cover. Um, it it becomes something that 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 they uh, some fearful monster that they have to to slay um, over their over their three years, and and it can for some people it can get bigger, um, bigger and more overwhelming. The more they um, come up against this this. Um, this thesis that they have to produce, um, and so uh, the guide is perhaps the, the the lance in this case. I think that's what it is. It's labelled as the the guide. Yes, the lance, um, and uh, it's it's a way in which it will help you to to slay the dragon, or it will help you produce that PhD. Um, but it's not going to write. It's not going to do the science for you. It's not going to write it for you. You're still going to have to do all that yourself. It's just going to be one of the tools in your toolkit um, that help get it, that help get it done. And that's that's what I certainly very much uh, picked up as as you were, as I said in the introduction, as as you were conceiving of this project, it, it clearly even began as literally advice to people you were advising. Um, you've you, you've told us and tell us also in the book. Um, but that, that that comes out clearly, and I think that's the voice that um, you know students are going to be looking for, and also the format—the fact that you can dip in and dip out. I mean, that I, I think that's pre-programmed uh, to be successful with scientists who are used to reading um, more snippets uh, rather than entire books, right? I mean, the the entire book is never actually going to help you with all uh, with with the part question that you might have on your particular project at this moment, but um, the, the sections will, um, very much so. And and what what comes out is is just one insight after another, where I can see that your motivation was 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 true. You were really trying to get, just blow away this fog. Uh, when you say, for example, you know, you'll find that very many examiners are going to be treating um, the actual PhD as an extra large task in peer review. Yep. I don't think that very many students would have imagined that, but for me, it was immediately extremely helpful. I realized, ah, okay. And, and, and to know the mindset of your readers is, is, is obviously gold, isn't it? Yep. When you tell us in chapter two, <laughs> there's also some, there's again, subtle humor, but, but a lot of uh, really important uh, information being passed on there. So to reconcile yourself to doing things that you've been avoiding. <laughs> and one of these implied appears to be, amongst others, um, you talk there about um, understanding your statistics, understanding the software you're going to use, but also facing writing and communicating, um, which is not something that perhaps is first on people's minds when they start the PhD. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I would have thought that this is very similar across the board with, um, with PhDs, uh, but I, I know it's so in biological sciences is that that when you come to do a, a PhD, it's because you have an enthusiasm for the subject, right? And you want to spend more time. Uh, you've got a taster for research, but you want to spend more time doing research. Um, and and perhaps uh, you don't have the the understanding at that point that the research is only the, the front part, um, and that the communication is actually part of that research. So that the this uh, part, this essential part of it that, that's bolted on that um, what I really want people to know for um, having read this book or having dipped into it is 
it's something that that you must start building up right from the beginning. Um, so I think too often I I, I hear people uh, putting off the writing and say, oh no, I'll do that at the I'm planning to do that at the end of the PhD, um, and and that's that's a that's basically a disaster waiting to happen right at the end um, when they'll find that they quickly uh, run out of time and they uh, they they will have uh, it'll be too late to, to to note down some things, but really the the one of the the messages in this book is is how to um, actually integrate the writing part of the PhD together with the, the research part. So how to integrate writing and studying together at the same time. Um, because that's, I think it's a much more fulfilling way of, of doing the writing. Um, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's certainly um, a, a better model for, for use of your time. Yeah, and um, this is... Uh, also to to come back to what you were saying earlier i mean if you put off the writing it's also a misrecognition of the role that the writing actually has in science um i i wholeheartedly agree as you said before that you know just to, to separate out the communicating from the science itself is is not a task that's really going to pay back much you know i mean <laughs> where where do you draw the line between one and the other and in in, in in a sense as 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 you're probably saying right now the sooner you recognize that and act on that um there you'll find the payback um that's uh, I, I found one of the sort of central messages that re recurred throughout in so many different formats no matter what you were talking about in the book yeah so i i think that's part of the story, but but I think the other part is that we're in a very interesting time um, when it comes to being a scientist um, or being an academic even, uh, and and publishing uh, your your research. So we're in an extremely interesting time because the the potential that we have to not just publish uh, what we've written, which is where um, we used to be with uh, scholarly journals, we'd just have the articles, we'd have the um, pre-digested uh, data, if you like, in the form of tables and figures. But now we're at a moment where we can, we can actually put all the data out there. We can put all of the code that we wrote so that people can repeat the analysis. Um, and in a way, um, the writing that we're doing is to communicate a particular uh, our particular understanding of, of where we're posing the questions and where we're interested in, in particular um, parts of the, the data set. But it's, it's also a means of um, not just communicating um, the, the particular questions that we have then, but also of um, uh, producing um, and advertising the, the data set for other people to use. So I, th I think we're, we're, we are starting to enter this very dynamic period in publishing whereby um, the, the actual article will be one of many products that we produce um, in, in the, the research that we do. Um, and I've tried to, to um, touch on this in, in this book, um, but it's, it's more... Um, there's a lot more information on this in, in another book, which is the sort of sequel to this book called How to Publish in Biological Sciences. This is also a guide for the uninitiated. Um, it's also on book down. It's also completely open access, so you can read that now at uh, howtopublishscience.org. Um, but it will also be a, a, a solid book, also published by CRC, um, and I've, I've just been going through the proofs in the past couple of days, so we'll be hopefully uh, looking at that uh, coming out in May. Taking that um, approach forward then, in publishing then, we'll, we'll be producing a, a whole range of products. And the communication in, in the writing will be uh, in addition to communication in code, for example. So when you're writing your R script, you'll now be writing a, a public um, R script for your analysis or, or Python or whatever um, particular code you're writing in, but that will be also a product 
um, that you'll be putting online. Your data set will be another product that you'll be putting online and you will be hoping that people use it. You won't be, you won't be trying to hide it um, as, as people have done in the past, but you'll actually be putting it out there. So you'll have this dynamic range of, of products that you will be hoping people use to build um, this, this scientific project. That, that's a fantastic insight into what is actually going on in writing in the sciences right now. And uh, I mean, you, you, you tease that out wonderfully. You've got, yes, the writing is part of the research on the one hand, but this writing is also in flux now. It's, it's changing and what that means and, and what's part of the finished product. Um, fantastic. Great stuff. That's, uh, and I think that's one of the things I would like to uh, Talk briefly about writing style. It is it is one of your chapters, um, and it's it's also caught up in both of these issues that you're talking about right now. The, the the idea that it's more than just a research article that's being written, and the writing is more than you think it is. Um, there, you you you. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting. First off, you you give the perspective of of the uninitiated to start off the chapter, telling us that yeah, you had originally thought, uh, as I think the vast majority of science uh, students uh, do think, that the writing is meant to be a sort of puzzle, and that you prove your your capability in the science by teasing it out and and, and solving the puzzle, and and clearly it's it's much the opposite that the goal of the writer should be that <laughs> you should really actually be communicating uh, clearly and, and not leaving up to the reader this sort of solving issue. I, I found that wonderful. But what I found really even fantastic was you, you, you talk, for instance, about Steven Pinker, but I mean, he stands for so many other writing guides that are out there. Um, these sorts of guides may well be useful for their audience, but they may also be overestimating how large that audience is. And that I found really um, was eye-opening. You, you, you refer to an article there by, I only have the last name here, Plaxco, um, yeah, where, yeah, yeah and, 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 and how you show that, no, it's, it's, <laughs> this, this isn't really about writing it so everyone understands it. This is more about deciding whom you're writing to and creating if you like, high-performance prose so that the writer's meaning meets the reader's understanding. Yeah, so I, I, I think um, know your audience is something that you're going to hear uh, whenever you, whenever you uh, hear anyone talking about writing, you're going to, the, the first question that, that you need to ask them is, well, who are you writing it for? Um, and that's, that's no different in, in science. Um, and the particular way in which you craft um, your, your prose for your, your chapter or your article, your manuscript, um, is going to be particular to the audience that um, that, that particular journal that you're planning to, to send it to will, will have. Um, I, I think, so, so just to go back um, and tell you the, the, the anecdote behind the, this puzzle, this, this, uh, I, I used to, I, I greatly enjoyed um, the reading part of my, my PhD. Um, and I, I used to have these, these tomes and they were almost always by single authors and, and you would read it once and you would get something out of it. You think, oh, okay, well, but I needed to read it again in order to, there must be something more to this. And, the, and then after maybe three or four readings and, and lots of notes you realize ah oh, you know this is this is what they were trying to say maybe and this is how these parts of the puzzle um all put together um and and then later on as an editor uh i i came across a, a manuscript that had been submitted very read very very in a similar way and i was i i reached out to the person i knew the person personally i reached out to them and i and i said the, you know, the way you've written this is like a puzzle. Um, and what you want is, is the reader to put all of these different uh, graphs and, and, and your results. And you want them to put, fit it all together and spend their time trying to work out what you're trying to say. And, and the guy said to me, yes, that's exactly what I want. The reader must do the work. Um, and, and I think, you know, for me, that's where we've come from. So that, that is very much the, 
the style of uh, mid and even late 20th century uh, science writing is to produce these puzzles and to produce all the information there and let the reader um, be uh, sufficiently scholarly to understand it. Um, but, but the things have changed. Um, we, can't, we can't possibly communicate uh, like that to an audience anymore because our audience has too much to read. They can't afford to read everything four times in order to get what the information is. We need to be giving it to them. So we, we, need, to, we need to change that puzzle around and change it from being a puzzle into producing what is going to be the most beautiful looking plate of food, if you like, um, for our readers to consume. So we've, we've got to produce it in a way that it's easiest for them to consume it, not um, so that they have to put it together before they can actually understand any of it. Uh, and that's fundamental, I think, now to, to writing. And I, yeah, I, I mentioned Stephen Pinker because they, some time ago, um, he said that you know, scientists are really bad at writing. And, and they have been in the past, but actually, the good news now is that there are lots of great role models for modern scientists and for, for PhD students. There are, there are great, there are uh, many, many articles that are very well written. And what I encourage um, readers to do in, in, in the book is, is to um, make notes about which of the articles are good to read. So when they read an article and they recognize that it's good, then make notes about that. See if you can start teasing apart why you think it's good. Um, and then there's some tools in the book to, to try and help, um, to help do that. Because there, there are lots of different reasons why people can write well, and there's not one way of doing any of these things. But to, to actually be able to say, okay, well, yes, it's because they, they did this, or because they did that, that, that actually um, the, the article came across as very easy to read or very nice to read. Um, and then to, to look for those clues, because once you've recognized a style that you like in other people, I think it makes it easier to actually then incorporate some of that style into your own writing. And the other thing that you make clear is that the literature, you, you have um, a number of sections, even two chapters on um, why it is critical that you read, yeah, not just for the research purposes, but for the writing purposes, as you're making clear to us, but also, again, for the research purposes in ways that might not entirely be clear to most PhD students, perhaps even some postdocs. Uh, one example that springs to mind is um, you can use the literature I was noticing as a sort of second advisor when you have questions about, okay, well, what was their context? Or in specific, I remember okay, I've got this hypothesis. I'm trying to work out how to test it. Well, how did other people test similar hypotheses? So comb through the materials and methods and uh, you know, look, look for their procedure, look for their materials, figure out how they put it together and, and adapt it to your needs. So, I mean, the literature has so much to offer and um, it's, you know, just looking for the facts in there is, is, is such a waste in a sense. Yeah, I, I, I think that's correct. Um, there, there, are, um, there, are, there are lots of different levels uh, that um, writers are operating on. And I, I, I guess that, that's part of the story of this book is, is to, to give you insight. So once, you have, once you've understood that there's more than um, just producing the graph and writing about what's on the graph, um, there's, there's so much more behind it. Uh, but, but unless you have read critically, so I, t I think I talk about critical reading. So un unless you have approached your reading um, in, a, in a critical way in order to, to look at making notes on the style, um, highlighting, doing, doing things like highlighting uh, a logical argument and seeing how they make that, breaking it down, um, looking at the different parts, um, so, in, or whether or not they use a, the the standard formula. I mean, the, this this book um, takes this idea of of writing to a particular formula. That's not something everyone likes, but it's certainly the easiest way to approach uh, writing uh, in biological sciences. Um, so, but looking for for times when people have broken that formula, 
is also a, a fascinating insight into what makes an article uh, very good or very easy to read or easy to understand. And, and of course, converse is also true, right? So when you, when you get a real stinker <laughs> and when you get an article that you don't like or you don't think is well-written, again, you know, make, have that critical reading to think, well, why is it, what, what's gone wrong here? What haven't they done? Um, uh, that, that will help you in your own writing, but it will also help you for, for um, your career in terms of uh, being able to pinpoint exactly why um, a manuscript you might be reviewing, for example, uh, doesn't seem good to you. We, in, in science, we obviously have, we have this peer review. Peer review is very important for our, our system. It's this sort of silver bullet um, that uh, gives uh, a, a way of um, having some level of approval of uh, content. But it requires peer reviewers, and we're very, we're very short of good peer reviewers. And one of the problems with peer review system is that when you get comments back, they're not hitting the mark um, because they're, they're reading it in a hurry or because they're not really seeing exactly what the, the problem is. Um, they don't have that insight. But again, if you learn um, how to, to read critically uh, when you're doing your PhD, it will put you in much better stead later on. Um, and, you know, my personal belief is that uh, all of us um, being members of the public in today's world could take a very uh, important lesson about critical reading um, of content uh, just, just for life. Um, I, I think early on in the book, uh, I talk about um, the baloney toolkit. That's right, yeah, Carl Sagan, I think, yeah. Yeah, so, so Carl yeah. Sagan put this together and he, it was, he called it to, um, when to spot baloney, I think. I, I, <laughs> I think it's, I call it something like when to know what you smell is bullshit or something very similar. Um, but yes, you know, the, the critical reading is, impo is an important uh, skill, not just for science, uh, but, for, but for everything you, you read and consume in the world about you. I, I, I think at the close here, I'd like to just uh, return once more to the really basic purpose of the book, as it announces in its title. Um, it's it's there for the PhD students. It's there to to offer them something that they may not be getting um, because of these mystification processes that happen so often in academia. Um, I know from my end, um, again, as a writing professional, that it, it is very often the case that academics, and, and you have a lot to say about academics and academia in the book. Um, <laughs> I'll just leave that as a teaser for people to listen to. But there are very many who tend to objectify the text types that people are writing during their studies, the literature review or the argumentative essay or the experimental protocol. And what I mean by that is if those were ends in themselves and what your book opens up is the idea that you now these are steps along the way. These are, you know, the beginnings of your career. They're, they're teaching you something, but they don't really count in and of themselves. And I suppose what I'd like to ask is, what is your view in that connection of the entire PhD? I've had people here who work closely in uh, STEM writing talk about the PhD as I've also listened to Nature's uh, working scientist and heard similar ideas expressed talking about the PhD as if it also needed to enter this dynamic developing process and and be perhaps moved more in a direction of real-world praxis and less uh, academic uh, theory. Maybe, and some schools are even doing this, maybe people need to be publishing immediately a few articles instead of actually publishing putting together chapters in a book, which often then get in some format or another uh, published later on. Um, so I suppose, again, my, my, my question to you is more about what does the PhD need to do? What, what separates it out? What is its educational value if it's not actual publication? Are there things that are gained by having perhaps that slight bit of a screen or wall between the real world before the researcher has finished their studies? Yeah, it, some interesting ideas. I, I, I think I'd like to start by saying that um, that e even though the, the book is written towards PhD students, 
anyone who who's experiencing the struggle in writing um, should put for, for science, especially for the biological sciences, but maybe there's also important lessons here for, for other um, areas as well. So I would hope that that um, it's it's a guide, it's a more encompassing guide than, than just people who are writing PhDs. So if, if, if you are a, an early career researcher, or if you're a master's student and you're doing master's by research, or if, if you need to, um, if, even if you're an undergraduate and you're writing up a project, then um, I would hope if, if, if writing is a mystery to you, then I would hope that there's some um, useful information here. Um, I, that that is, that is entirely the case. I, I, I misframed the question to make it seem as but, if it was only for PhDs. I, it, it, uh, I can say from this reader's perspective that all of those groups you just mentioned certainly will find here what they're looking for. Thanks. But um, but in terms of um, is is a PhD hitting the mark, and is it is it is it useful in terms of uh, of what we wanted to produce in society now? I I, I think yes. Um, it, we should certainly be. Asking ourselves these questions and, and and finding out whether it's relevant. I think I think for me, I would say that the the discipline of doing a PhD um, is it, it almost exists in and of itself because what you're really trying to do is you're you're having um, somebody who's who's studying a subject in, in obviously in great detail, but. The objective there is to, to have them learn how to ask the questions. Um, and it's not asking any question, but it's asking a question that, that can be answered and then putting those steps into place in order to answer, in, in, in order to answer that particular question. So um, there's, it's, the how, it's the nuts and bolts of how to go about doing research. So what we want to produce when we have somebody who's finished a PhD is we want to have somebody who, who we can say, yes, you know, this person can now not only go forward um, as a scientist, but this person knows how to approach asking questions in order to answer them. Does that make sense? Very much so, yes. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for that, uh, John. Uh, that is John Meesey. His book, How to Write a PhD in Biological Sciences, A Guide for the Uninitiated, is out with CRC Press now, and it's also open to you and to your collaboration even at Bookdown. Just visit the blog post and you'll find all the links there. I'm Daniel Shea, and this is goodbye from me to John. Goodbye. Thanks very much, Daniel. Goodbye. And this is goodbye to all of you. Bye-bye, and until next time here on Scholarly Communication. <laughs>